This Advent season, experience the powerful promise of God. Hope in the person Jesus. Together, let's see what God has in store. As a part of our series, A Thrill of Hope, each week we'll have a theme. And this week, and you might have guessed it from Pastor Carly's work with the kids, it is the anticipation. Everybody know what anticipation means? Uh, of hope. I'd invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 21, and would you stand for the reading of the Gospel this morning? Luke chapter 21, beginning at verse 25. These are, uh, if your Bible has red letters, these would be red letter words. These are words of Jesus. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and Perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. People who faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happen, you know that the kingdom of God is near. This is the word of God given for the people of God. We respond together by saying, thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, some of us are waiting on snow. Some of you are not. But I will confess to you today, I want snow for Christmas. I love winter until I don't love winter. Does that make sense? I've heard that February is the longest month of the year, even though it has the fewest days. Because by February, winter has lost its charm for me. For some of you, by November, winter has lost its charm for you. By the end of February, it's lost its charm. The holidays have come and gone. The hills have been sweated. The plants have been barren for months. The snow is now dingy and dirty, and the skies are gray. Um, And it feels like the world may never be warm or green again. I see some of you. You just think the apocalypse has come sometime (laughs) in February. But take heart. Persevere. Be hopeful. Spring will come. It has not failed, ever. Now, in North Idaho, sometimes that's just a half a day. But spring always comes. Welcome to the first Sunday of Advent. And today's lesson from the Gospel of Luke is a little unsettling because Christ seems to be describing what sounds like the end of the world. You listen to those words. There will be signs of the sun and the moon and the stars. There will be anguish and perplexity and roaring and the tossing of sea. And people are going to be tossed to and fro and the world is going to be shaken. I mean, it's just vivid imagery. You can almost see the Hollywood would have such a great time with the special effects of this passage of Luke. And of course, it's a scene that has been painted from many pulpits as a time of great terror. I heard about the preacher who was preaching this passage with great drama, and, and, uh, and he, was, uh, he was talking, thunder will boom and lightning will strike, and there will be floods, and there will be flames, and there will be storms. And this little girl turns to her mom and says, Mom, 
if all that happens, they'll cancel school, right? Um, <laughs> 1938, Orson Welles broadcast the radio dramatization of H.G. Wells' War of the World. Some of you know this story. This, and, and, and Roger probably listened to it. Um, uh, where, where, is, where are you, Roger? See, I haven't picked on you in a while. I thought I would throw that out. Um, but you, if you know the story, you know that the broadcast was intended to just be a story. But it was done in the form of a news broadcast. And people began to tune in and think they were listening to the news and that the Martians had actually invaded the earth. And people began to panic all over the country. A nationwide panic as they listened that the Martians had taken over the earth. Actor John Barrymore was among uh, those who were convinced that the Martians had landed. And he kept his composure for quite some time until they announced that the Martians had now uh, taken New York City and they are marching down Madison Avenue. And he rushed out to the kennel where he kept his 20 prize St. Bernard's and he opened up all of the kennel doors and, and he got the dogs out and he said, go, fend for yourself, be free. I'm glad he was concerned about his St. Bernard's. I'm thinking he felt pretty foolish um, probably an hour later when he figured out that there had been no Martian invasion and it was just a radio program. Of course, there have been several instances all throughout history where Christian folks have gotten stirred up by the, some would-be prophet who is convinced that the end of the world is at hand. Some good folks who have sold their homes and left their jobs and neglected responsibilities because they thought the end had come. Now, as a total aside, I've been talking about Martians. Did you notice this week that NASA landed this uh, thing on Mars? I mean, amazing, these pictures that were sent back so far away. And, and of all the pictures, I don't know if you saw them, of all the pictures, this one was my favorite. Um, there it is. <laughs> totally an aside. I threw that in for no reason at all. So other than we were talking about Martians. It's interesting that most of us, when we think of Advent... We think of this special season in which the church takes time to prepare and celebrate the coming of Christ at Christmas. It's a season of joyous anticipation, and, and, and it is. It is all of that. But sometimes we forget to talk about and forget to be reminded that there is a second advent in Scripture. And it has nothing to do with snowflakes or sugar plums dancing on our heads. Luke describes this day when he says, At that time the Son of Man will come in the cloud of power and great glory. That's a mysterious image. Come in a cloud of power and glory. It's intended to be that way. Because if you look at all through scripture, when a cloud shows up, the cloud is the symbol of mystery and the presence of God. He's coming in the clouds, Revelation 1-7 says. Lo, I am with you in a thick cloud, God said to Moses at Mount Sinai. A cloud symbolized the presence of, of God covering the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40. A cloud uh, surrounded the, the Ark of the Covenant, a place where the presence of God dwelt, Leviticus 16. And the cloud of glory, the very majesty of God, filled the, uh, the temple of Solomon upon its dedication in 1 Kings 8. 
there are other stories. You might remember the one in the New Testament where Jesus and his disciples, three of his disciples, are up on a mountain together. Matthew records it for us. He says, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then we read on. It says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from a cloud said, this is my son whom I love and him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the New Testament says that Jesus is coming in a cloud of power and great glory, it is a powerful symbol that we see all throughout of scripture of mystery and divinity. Those are interesting words, though, for us in our modern world. A cloud, this is my son. We hear a lot about clouds these days. In today's world, we associate the cloud with computers. When tech companies say your data is out there in the cloud, or you can work in the cloud, or you don't have to buy computers now with as big a hard drive, you can store everything in the cloud, I want you to understand that when they're talking about the cloud, they're not saying all of your data is in heaven. In fact, some people say it's in an entirely different place than heaven. (laughs) These clouds, these Amazon and Google and Apple clouds, these are big warehouses that are are full of football-sized places with, with computers that are storing images. When the Bible is talking about a cloud, it's talking in a very different way. When Luke says that Jesus is coming with a cloud of power and glory... It's the biblical way of saying that in the end of days, Google and Amazon and Apple aren't going to own the cloud. In fact, they're probably not going to own much at all. God will control every cloud that ever existed, and Christ will reign over all. That's to say that Christians ought to be excited as they anticipate the future. Now, I'm going to read that again, and it's actually going to show up on your screen. Christians ought to be excited as they anticipate the future. The reason I want you to hear that again is because I'm not so sure we live into this very well. And, and so let me, let me just meddle for a second. That's what sometimes we preachers do. Um, if we told you all that you wanted to hear, I'm probably not doing my job. I so often hear from people or postings that Christians are really good talking about fear of the future. Christians ought to be excited because God owns the future. According to Scripture, all of Scripture, all of creation groans, waiting expectantly to see not what Google will do or Amazon or Apple, but what God is going to do next. For the future belongs to God. Do you believe that? The future belongs to God. The people of Israel waited expectantly for the Messiah, and the early church waited for Christ's return to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. The Christian life is a life that ought to be an expectant life, not a fearful life. A life lived in anticipation of the promises of God to be fulfilled. For God owns the future. Like three of you believed that before. Can I get a fourth? God owns the future. I heard about this great Christian lady that was, was bedridden and living in an attic apartment on the fifth floor of a, of a real rundown. Uh, apartment building. There was no elevator. It was stairs, five floors up, but that didn't really matter. She was pretty much bedridden. She couldn't leave anyway, and she spent her time in this broken, shabby place. 
One of her friends decided that they would go visit and try to to cheer her up and and decided she would take a second friend with her. Now, the second friend was a nice lady, but she was, and and I I don't know that I have great words to describe it, but let's just say she was kind of a snooty lady. So they want to go and they want to cheer up this bedridden lady. And as they entered the building, this kind of snooty lady was struck by the drab surroundings. And, and as they mounted to go up to the second floor, she just couldn't contain it anymore. And she said, such a dark and filthy place. And her first friend said, well, it's, it's better higher up. They got to the third floor. She said, it's even worse here. Her first friend said, don't worry, it's better higher up. They got to the fifth floor, to the very top, the final floor. They entered the apartment, this run-down little apartment. And here's this dear lady whose face was just shining bright with the love of Christ, so excited to have her friends visit. And, And the kind of snooty lady couldn't really ignore the awful surroundings. And she said it in a sympathetic way. She meant it in a in a kindly way. She said, it must be difficult for you to live like this. And the woman in the bed said, yes, it can be. But it's better higher up. That's the promise that those of us who follow Christ need to live our life by. That in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of our situations, in the midst of the immediate circumstance that we find ourselves in, to be a people that no matter where we are in the midst of those journeys, that have a hope that it is better higher up. That's the promise Christians live by. Who knows what grand thing God is up to at this very hour? No wonder for 2,000 years have people been trying to, to read the fig trees and trying to analyze the sessions and read the signs and determine when God's promise will be fulfilled. It is a futile effort, by the way, for Jesus says that no man knows the hour. Not even the angels know the mind of God that way. But we keep trying and writing books and making movies about when it might be. People are always looking for signs concerning Christ's return. We don't know when that time will be, but we are called to be a people who live in anticipation of a God who is at and will be at work. And that God will fulfill and is fulfilling the promises that he has made. And that God is coming exactly as he said he would to finish everything that he began. For God owns the future. We live in anticipation because we also know that God does not forget his own. You know, much of the New Testament was written to a group of people in a time of terrible persecution. I hear sometimes people say today, oh, Christians are under persecution um, where we live. Oh, my friends, read some history. Look at some countries around the world. These first century Christians that are writing here, they are being burned. They are being thrown into gladiator pits. To be a Christian believer in this time period took courage and endurance. And much of the New Testament was written to believers who were in the midst of those circumstances. And much of what is written is to say, hold on, you can make it. God's going to answer the promise. Be faithful, be in anticipation. You have a hope. He will come. He owns the future. During this special season of Advent, our Jewish friends will be celebrating Hanukkah, the celebration of lights. They will light the candle, the menorah, a nine-branch candle holder, and they will be celebrating an event that took place before Christ. I don't know if you know the event they celebrate. But the event occurred uh, during Roman uh, oppression. 
when after an impressive fight to recapture the temple of Jerusalem, the Jewish people wanted to relight the menorah that was on the altar, and they wanted to keep it lit for 24 hours a day. But they realized they had no candles. They did have a little bit of olive oil. They had enough olive oil to last one day. And it was going to take eight days to refine the next group of olive oil. So in faith, they took the one day that they had, and they filled the menorah, and they began to light it, and they burned the oil for one day, and in faith said, Lord, it's going to take us eight days to replenish this. This is up to you. And that's exactly what happened. It burned for eight days without being replenished. That was the miracle. And Hanukkah, for our Jewish friends, is a sign in their history that God does not forget his people. God's people have always taken comfort in the knowledge that whenever life grows uncertain or dangerous or difficult, we can look, as it were, to the clouds. He does not forget us or forsake us. Ours is an expectant life. At least it ought to be. Waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled. Remembering that God does not leave us nor forsake us. Ours is also expectant for one more reason. Advent reminds us that victory is already ours. Now, I'm going to stretch your vocabulary here a little bit. Just theologians speak for a little bit here. A big fancy word, two words, realized eschatology. It's a fancy term that means that we can live in, right now, in the light of Christ's final victory, even though that victory is yet to be complete. Now, let me help you with that. My wife, I might not be helping me by telling this story, my wife is a Christmas snooper. She's just born that way. She, if she sees a present, she has to pick it up. She's got to shake it. She's got to try to figure out what is in it. She's always been that way. And by her DNA, she has passed that on to my three children as well. <laughs> Anybody live with somebody like that in their life? Oh, like, what? come on. Those who aren't raising your hand, you are one of them. Um, I knew a snooping boy. And one year he found a package that was not hard to identify, for the content was a golf club, a new driver. You can't really wrap a driver and hide it very well. And, and so when mom and dad weren't around, he would take the package and pick it up and shake it. In fact, he'd even hold the wrapped package and, 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 and pretend in the living room that he was there at the golf course. The paper began to fray a little bit along the way. The point is, he was already having the pleasure of the future event, namely the unveiling. His name was on the package. He knew it was his. He knew what it was. And only Christmas would reveal its fullness. That's realized eschatology, that enjoying the wonder and the majesty of the victory, even though it is yet to be accomplished. We are a people who live between advents. We live post this first advent of Christ tearing open the heavens and coming, and we live waiting for him to finish what he began. But that does not mean we can't see the kingdom come, God's will be done, right in the midst of the place where we live. God's presence is here, but he owns the future. We live in a God-invaded world. That's what Advent is about. And that even though the final victory hasn't been won, we can live in anticipation and the assurance of hope because, as I've said four or five times now, 
the future belongs to God. So Advent is here. Let us begin to watch for the places in which God wants to break in, in which bits of the kingdom of heaven become the kingdom of this earth. And that in the midst of the brokenness that is around us, that instead we become a people of hope, of anticipation, because our name is on the gift. And we know what it is. And we ought to be a people that live that way. Methodist Bishop William Willimon said he read a newspaper article one time about a woman who he thinks was from Louisiana. But the, the article was about a woman who had raised uh, more than a dozen foster kids despite her having just a part-time domestic working job. And the newspaper asked her, how, how do you do that? Why do you do that? Why would you take the little bit that you have and pour that into what you have done? And, and her answer was very revealing. She said to the newspaper man, I saw a new world is coming. See, God owns the future. I hope that you and I could have that kind of expectancy in our life, that we would live in that kind of expectancy. Jesus said, at the time you'll see the Son of Man in a cloud of power and great glory, and as we talked earlier, it won't be Google's or Amazon's cloud. It will be the cloud that is the representative of God's presence in this world and all of those broken things will be swept away and what is left is the love and mercy of God and the children of God will have the tears wiped from the circumstance of their life and joy will reign. Your name is on the present. This season, over the next few weeks, we will celebrate the first Advent primarily. But as we begin this journey, let us not forget the second advent for the second advent is coming and for now we live in hopeful anticipation and so I guess the question to leave you with in all of my rambling is this what does that mean for you what is it and I guess a question you can only answer what does that look like for you what what if we were to be a people who lived in the anticipation of hope what is, how does next week look different than last week? You know what you went through last week. How, how do your relationships next week look different than your relationships last week? How does your calendar next week look different than your calendar last week? How do your priorities next week look different than your priorities last week? If we truly are a people who are living in the hope of the hope that is coming, ought it not change next week because the future belongs to God. We, let us not forget, are not a people of fear. We are a people of hope. What do you say we start to live that way? Would you stand Father, we give you thanks for this day that you have given us. We've been able to come into your presence and, and we've been able to, to be together, to sing, to hear your word, to pray. And, and, and it seems like that the whole day could be encapsulated 
by that one old hymn from 1744, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. Come and break in. And Father, in this time that, that is preparation, I, I am the first to admit I don't always like preparation because sometimes it's uncomfortable. Because if you're wanting to get me ready for something, then you might have to shift some things. You might have to move some things around. I might have to, to give up some things or take on some things. I, I might have to look more like you next week than I did last. But God, that's what I want. That's what we want. So if it takes you shuffling us around a little bit, if it takes us coming to a place of needing to make some new decisions, God, my prayer is that this season could be a banner moment, could be a turning point in every one of our lives, that, that the trajectory of our life would look different because of the work you are doing right now in this season. And that that trajectory would bend more towards you. Father, remind us in the midst of the broken places we go, in the brokenness we see or the brokenness we live amongst, remind us that we are called to be a people of hope. Remind us that you are faithful and you will complete every promise you've ever made. So in the midst of brokenness, may people see hope in us. May the priorities of our life reflect a trajectory of Christ-likeness. And may what we say and do speak into the dark places until all your children find their way home. In Jesus' name, we pray with hope. Amen. Lord bless you as you go.